0: Buzzkill episode yeah. 16, and uh, normally we'd be in the mission, we'd be in Brian X. Chen's apartment, but today we're in my apartment. I'm Nathan Olivares-Giles, and we're in the Lower Hate. It's a bit echoey, because I just moved here like two months ago, and I'm only like halfway, well, two-thirds of the way unpacked, and there's not enough stuff on the walls. place but is
1: coming together, though. It looks good. It's, it's coming together. Good. It's coming
0: together. You'll just have to imagine it at home, but as always, I am joined by...
1: Uh, Mark Millian Brian Chen
0: And uh, The ground rules uh, For those who are new I don't know Do we have any new listeners? I guess like the numbers are kind of maybe We, going don't, have we don't have any listeners We don't have any listeners at all?
2: I was looking at the analytics For the uh, Aziz Ansari episode And we had like a thousand listens That might have been Nate Listening to it 500 times <laughs> But um, <laughs> No I feel like Nate's mom listening to it <laughs> I, feel like,
0: I feel like we've been Consistently hitting around a thousand I don't know who you are But thank you for listening um, So yeah the ground rules Basically, we talk about whatever we want. Usually, it's a mixture of tech, pop culture, and politics. And then, if any one of the three of us gets bored with the subject at hand, we hit a buzzer. And this week's buzzer is... Boom, And that's, a, that's probably something that Mark's going to mess up a couple more times because it's from a YouTube clip of NBA Jam. The reason we chose NBA Jam is because the NBA Finals are happening right now. And NBA Jam, I think it's the greatest basketball game of all time. I just got to be real with you.
1: Yeah, well NBA Street was another good, I, like spiritual successor. Yes,
0: NBA Street is, and then NBA Street Home Court, that one was amazing. But nonetheless, we're, let's start with some m- more important things. Uh we're going to kick this episode off with talking about <sighs> Donald Trump pulling out of the Paris Climate Accord. Basically 195 countries like what late it was like late 2015 uh got together uh, to agree that yes, climate change is real, and we're going to do something about it. And it was a non-binding agreement, so every country was basically just kind of like you know the honor system, saying, "All right, here are the different things we're going to do to curb, um, you know, greenhouse gases and pollution, and to try and stop uh, the human contribution to global warming." And, and now Trump change.
1: is says he's going to renegotiate. How do you renegotiate a non-binding agreement? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like, there's 194 other countries
0: still in it, and
1: including Russia.
0: Yeah, including Russia. Although Putin, surprise, surprise, did praise Trump's uh, yeah, choice he to leave. Up for his boy. But li- how are you going to negotiate with 194 other countries? Like, it's 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 amazing that 195 countries in the first place got together to do anything, anything, and. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways. So,
2: so what I don't get is I was reading that some small businesses were cheering Trump on for getting out of this agreement. Do you guys understand the rationale there? I, well, the big businesses were against it,
1: right? I, I think. Uh, yeah, like Nike,
0: Under Armour, Apple, Apple Intel, yeah. Microsoft. Yeah, uh, like Google. Google, like every big company.
1: And uh, Elon Musk stepped down from two presidential councils. Bob Iger left the business advisory council. Yeah, Bob Iger,
0: the CEO of Disney, for those who don't know. Yeah, it's 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 a significant deal, and it kind of feels like... It's, well, strangely enough, Nikki Haley, who's the UN ambassador um, uh, for the U.S. right now, appointed by the Trump administration, she said that Trump actually thinks climate, cl- climate change is something that's happening. Which is crazy because he's called it a hoax. He's called several it, times. He even blamed on it some something that like China created, and China even sent out a tweet this last week saying that no, they didn't make it up. It's real. Um,
1: China tweets.
0: Well, it was like a, a an like an official from China. It was a state account, but it wasn't like you know, it wasn't like at China. Was at China. <laughs> China. <laughs> this is China. <laughs> at China. Chuck I should I should be more accurate <laughs> in quoting my tweets, but yeah, I mean, it's. It's it's it, it's not a surprise. This is something he ran on. We all knew it was something he was planning on doing. He's been talking about doing it for a long time. The thing is,
1: he said so many crazy things during that campaign, but and he's like followed up on all of them. It's it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. he's like methodically like, all right, what like insane shit did I say in December 20, 2015?
0: I I did find some encouragement though in all this that you know. Again, so many CEOs and you know big corporations came out and said we're not going to change the way we do business uh, because of this um, And there's something like 30 states uh, governors uh, uh, US state governors who have come out so far and said, we're still going to live up to uh, the ideals of the Paris Accord even though the US technically isn't in it, and we're going to you know resist by embracing clean energy and, and you know sustainability so, um, it seems like the sort of thing that states will have a lot of power over, but um, you which, know.
1: which is also something Trump ran on is that the states can can make up their own decisions. A very Republican um, platform. Yep. My uh, our our publisher, majority owner Mike Bloomberg, did something that I thought was kind of cool. Separate from the company was to pledge um, fifteen million dollars, which was. The amount that the U.S. was supposed to put up as part of their agreement to Paris—that um, is pretty climate, remarkable. Climate change. I mean, uh, granted, he's, initiatives.
0: he's a billionaire, so fifteen million probably isn't much for him. But the symbolicness of saying I'm going to match dollar for dollar what the U.S. is now pulling out.
1: Yeah, well, the U.S. is uh, trillions in GDP, and fifteen million dollars is not going to save much money. All these little. Um, you know, budget changes that
2: Trump is pushing through or proposing,
1: they're just, like, not really going to move the needle, like this in particular.
2: I mean, what's fascinating is that Trump was supposed to be the president that loved businesses, right? was going to create more jobs, you know, help the economy, and yet all these businesses were saying, like, we don't want you to do this, and he just absolutely did not listen to any of them, including Apple, the richest company in the world. Yeah, Um, but this is
1: designed for the coal industry, which is, like, you know, almost not even relevant. Anymore in the context of the wider <laughs> business. Right. Yeah, Ar-
0: Arby's <laughs> employs more people than the coal industry as a whole in the U.S. So, yep, there's that.
2: Coal is making a comeback. Guys. <laughs> uh, I wanted to briefly talk about. Um, so, I was in, uh, I was on the East Coast last week, and I yeah. got accidentally, or I, I booked a flight on kayak on Virgin and i was a little bit pissy about this because they they put my boarding pass as brian mr chen they put my salutation (laughs) as my middle initials and um, i forgot the x i was very pissy about this because you know that the tsa doesn't really let anything slide right so i was like kind of like nervous about this i was trying to get the middle initials mr removed and they wouldn't do it because i booked it through kayak and they said kayak customer service would have to put in a request for me i tried to do that and i was like fuck this this is like This is like too much. I'm just going to go deal with it at the counter when I get there. Anyway, um, so it just turned out that um, by chance, I got put on business class, you know, because it was like a randomly assigned seats through kayak. Were they trying
1: to make up for the middle initial (laughs) mishap?
2: You you would hope, but it was just totally a fortuitous thing to happen. And have you guys ever ridden? Or flown business class before? I yeah. once
0: flew business class in a United flight, and it was, like, hyper-business. I don't even know what it was called, but <laughs> they had this thing where you could actually extend your chair. I'm, I'm like, 6'2". I could extend my chair fully, and <laughs> I could sleep, like, in a fully horizontal position. And they gave us, like, warm towels and cookies. It was insane. Uh, yeah. it was insane. I had
1: that on a European flight, which is great, because they're yeah. fucking long as shit, especially from the West Coast. And it got to, like... at. At nighttime, just like sleep for a full like six or seven hours.
2: It was amazing. My like, god, this is the world that we're missing out on. If, if, like we, if we just sell, sell out, yeah. if you join a tech company, we could be among the five percenters to be in the business class section. But um, the Virgin. One can America only hope. Yeah. Business class is also amazing for Virgin because, like, you, you know how you have the screen to go shopping and order all this shit? Like, everything is just free. Like, you don't even need to swipe your credit cards. Like, free, free, free. Oh, the movies are free. Like, I, I took like an hour to realize this until, holy uh, shit, this stuff. <laughs> is actually free that's true in main cabin select too if you ever get that upgrade yeah wow. so anyway so this recently so one thing i wanted to mention was that um so this version flight was equipped with viasat instead of gogo for wi-fi and i'm just used to wi-fi not working on the plane very well yeah gogo forever, always sucks it's super uh, slow Go-Go. yeah and like gogo has been saying forever like oh we're gonna fix this we're gonna fix this we just have too much uh too many people and too little capacity or whatever. But via sat, you know, obviously, like, they're using satellite technology, and it works great. I was, like, watching Netflix. So I was watching videos and just doing my normal shit like it was just, like, regular Wi-Fi at my house. So I feel like GoGo is going to be, like, they're going to be fucked if in, in, like, a year or so if they don't they don't turn things around because it's, it's just total garbage. I think, like, all the airlines are going to leave them at some point.
1: I think GoGo uses ground-based um Oh, really? Internet. They do, yeah. 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 They, they, they bought beam spectrum. It from the ground to the. Which you would think if you're in a plane, you're probably a little more efficiently closer to, this, to the orbit than you are to the ground. It, but it, it might won't be. work over oceans. Yeah. And GoGo's like. It's just a flawed technology, I think.
2: Huh. Yeah, they, they bought the, the spectrum, the radio spectrum, and it was like. They called it terrestrial networks, but it seems like it was a. I mean. I guess they were among the first Wi-Fi providers for planes, right? Yeah,
1: but that leaves them open to just getting destroyed when a competitor comes along. It sounds like Viasat is pretty good. And I think Alaska said as part of their virgin acquisition that they're going to roll out Viasat to all of their planes. I can't fucking
2: wait. Uh, I guess since uh, we talked about planes, I want to quickly talk about how I just flew, flew a drone for the first time. Uh, last week, too. Wait,
0: how, how are you, uh, a New York Times technology columnist, <laughs> and you just flew a drone for the first time? Well,
2: look, um, I got this gig two years ago. This, okay, fine. I, I've, been, <laughs> I've been, I hated drones for a long time because they were really annoying on the beach. You know, I just like they are annoying. Frown upon people who use them. Um, for the longest time, I was avoiding testing them because they're a rich people's toy. Basically, they cost like you know upwards of twelve hundred dollars. Yeah. And, or so.
0: And there's not like a huge use case for them. There yet, still probably. wasn't a
2: huge use case, but what drew me to this one called The Spark from DJI was that it cost $500 and you know now that something is as cheap as an iPhone or cheaper than an iPhone I figure like well now it's worth looking at because now it's affordable to you know more people yeah and um, it could be you know more commonplace in the next year or so if if drone prices continue to plummet like this (sighs) so I just wanted to see what a 500 drone was like yeah Uh, and um, it was actually quite good Uh, it was controlled with a smartphone so they're like these virtual joysticks for controlling the plane and um, you took a selfie yeah, I took a, a selfie. What well, do they like, call those dronies? Like an overhead selfie. Mm-hmm. Um, they had these quick shot modes to make it easier. So you would hit this button and there's one called rocket. So the, the drone would like take off and lift into the air about like, 80, like 50 meters or so and take like a video of you and your friend like, you know, as it ascended. And um, it just lo- looked really cool, you know, so they're making it easy for people to actually know how to use a drone because typically you would need a lot of skill to be able to, to control the drone. Yeah, smoothly. The,
0: most of the drones I've flown with smartphone controls are terrible, uh-huh. and in fact, I've lost one. Uh, my <laughs> colleagues at the Wall Street Journal where I used to work have lost some. But if you have the traditional like joysticks like you would with an RC you know, car or whatever, um, those are pretty great and precise, but that you have to understand, like yaw and like all these kind of like you know actual plane mechanics and ideas. Mm-hmm. And you can get it eventually, but there's a learning curve.
1: I think like drones will, and I think they already are popular among kids as an alternative to like those RC flying uh, helicopters yeah. or whatever. Right. But I don't think they're really going to take off as a mainstream consumer product with adults until you have one that fits in your pocket and that flies on its own and takes selfies.
2: This one yeah. was so small, though. This Spark one, it was, like, it was like one quarter of
1: a pound. So they need to get like the autopilot going, so it just takes off from your hand, and then it just follows you around and take takes pictures of you. That's going to be the product people are going to want.
2: Uh, I, I wouldn't disagree. Wait, yeah, we're not what? moving on. Why, why do you disagree? Respect the know, buzzer, said, Mark. No, 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 I said I wouldn't disagree. I, I, wouldn't wouldn't disagree. Disagree.
1: I, I
0: honestly don't think like, the toy drone thing is going to, you know, it, it, it'll it be small. I don't think it'll be, like, groundbreaking. I think it'll match what RC cars are. I don't think it'll be that significant. I think where drones are really going to go, and this is what I'm most scared of, is, like, uh, law enforcement, surveillance, and delivery mm. stuff. And I'm, yeah. like, kind of terrified of the prospect of, like, our skies being filled with so many drones that, like, Amazon you can't drones. see through the sky. Like, you know, clouds of drones. I don't I don't know. I think, you know... Okay, we play with RC cars as kids, but that's a couple years of our life, and then we're kind of over them, you know?
1: True. Alright, we're going to talk about movies.
0: Well, let's start with movie theaters, and th- we're getting kind of local here. This is a Bay Area thing. All three of us loved the Sundance Kabuki Theater in San Francisco. Sundance was a movie chain... Uh, that Which was.
1: They have in LA a lot of major cities. And a they, lot of they major cities. And, and they're very popular. And
0: now it's owned by AMC. AMC. Well, let's first let's talk about why we loved it so okay. much in its Sundance form because I, I, AMC has kind of fucked it up. But it like on Tuesdays you get into a movie for six bucks, like any new movie. There's great food. You could drink. You could. It was kind of ahead of its time. In terms of a a theater for adults where you could go and drink and have a good dinner and kind of have a nice date night, a nice movie night, right? Yeah.
2: When I first moved to San Francisco in 2006, Sundance Kabuki had just opened, and it was like this... It's really fresh, you know, approach to a theater where not only could you eat and drink inside the theater, but they didn't show all those shitty fucking commercials before the movies. You know, Yeah. Yeah. And like, oh, what a novelty at this point, because, you know, AMC and Century, they, they just flood you with like these really horrible, like even TV commercials when you're in the movies, you know, it
0: felt like they respected the audience more in a way.
2: Yeah, so it was it was basically a theater chain that respected movies still, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, and and nowadays you have to go to Alamo Draft House to find something like that. So so have you been back to Kabuki since they were bought by AMC? You know, I've whatever? gone back
0: twice since they're bought by AMC. The first time, um, it, it was weird. Like they were just switching over the signs, and they shut down the kitchen. They weren't serving food, and all they had was popcorn and like you know crap wow. soda. And they, like, had already put in those gigantic Coke machines where it's, like, 50 different flavors of Coke and you choose which combination you want or whatever. Well, that's an upgrade. It is an upgrade, but it's also kind of an eyesore. Like, it really, like, messed with the decor they had in there, this gigantic red box. But all the people who worked there were like, yeah, AMC bought us and, like, we're not really sure what it's going to mean and we don't really know, like, how it's going to change. But, like, a lot of stuff is already changing. And, and so we went back again and it, it just it sucked like you know the food wasn't as good the drink selection wasn't as good Uh, um and you know you could still like get some food in there and stuff but it it wasn't even close as close and since then i've mostly been going to see movies uh at the alamo draft house in the mission mission here which is a good theater but it's also you know it's like it's not the same i mean yeah with kabuki you could go and get your food and then you bring it in Alamo Draft House is almost more of like a restaurant that shows theaters, like uh, that shows movies. You sit down, you have your waiter like walk in front of you, and it actually works really well. I love that experience, but it's a different experience than Kabuki had. It's the closest thing you can get to what Kabuki was, but you know, it, I
2: I like the Kabuki better. So the question of Kabuki is, did they start showing all the shitty commercials like AMC?
1: I I went yesterday. I didn't get there early enough to see. Oh. I just... Well,
0: when,
2: I'm going to go there for I, the first time next week since they bought it. So I
0: I they were starting to show shitty commercials. Yeah. And that's not something that Alamo uh, Draft House does. Alamo
2: Draft House, it's cool.
0: You'll go see, you know, aliens and then they'll show like, you know, old school like alien movie clips like from just across any sort of alien genre, not just the really Scott alien yeah, series or they're whatever. Doing like fun stuff there, yeah. Yeah, you know, you go see Star Wars, they'll show like Star Wars toy commercials or whatever. It's like they know that there's this expectation to fill up that space before but they're not gonna just fill it with shitty ads you know they're gonna fill it with like something that's entertaining and interesting now granted you're gonna pay a little bit more to go see a movie at at Alamo than you would AMC and you're gonna pay a lot more for food True. but the food's gonna be a lot better and, and again this isn't like just like the theater you take you know your 15 kids to on a Saturday or whatever this is kind of like the date night mm-hmm. you know it's it's a different experience I actually really like AMC you know theaters on their own when i want to just go see the blockbuster and i don't you know care about that experience as much but you when you want something a little bit you know more premium or whatever and and they're not doing it with kabuki but it sucks
2: all right all
0: right now we can get to movies
1: yes well the reason i was at sundance kabuki or amc dine-in kabuki 16 <laughs> Dine as they call it now <laughs> the name yeah amc dine-in kabuki 16 <laughs> that's God, just even a bad name yeah uh was to see wonder woman which was okay just okay um i, I like i liked it i liked it as a concept it was it was a decent to good superhero movie there's a lot of cheesy lines as we discussed uh, but it was I, I like that it uh, like the feminism component of it having a male and a female lead where the male's like you wait here and she's like get the hell out of here like yeah you wait here that I, was cool I
0: honestly thought so n- not to give me spoilers like Chris Pine plays a World War One spy who's like from the U S working for the U K posing as a German blah 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 and then he like meets Wonder Woman and they go on some adventures together or whatever right and. I kind of didn't think Chris Pine's character was that necessary. I mean, now this was kind of the engine of the film. Like, they're, you know, her being somewhat naive to the ways of the world and to male sexism and, you know, coming from this island of Amazonian women. Like, she's never, like, seen all these, like, guns or, like, you know, the way people dressed at that period of time and all sorts of stuff. So they play off her naivety or naivete or whatever a little bit, but I don't think it's in a disrespectful way. But I honestly, like, I kind of thought you almost didn't need it. Like, Wonder Woman's an interesting character enough on her own. I didn't know if she needed a male companion to explain things, mansplain things to her the (laughs) whole time.
1: I thought it was great because I thought he was kind of like the, the... Prototypical role of a female in these types of hero films. That's true. It's just like a side character that's there as maybe a love interest. Yeah. Or it's just like a supporting. Kind of ex- disposable. Yeah. You know, he's not
0: going to yeah. be in the next film. Yeah. You know, that kind of
2: thing. So, who wrote the movie? I'm trying to look that it up. It was written by. Was uh, it written by a woman or well, a man? Well, it was co written by uh, Snyder. What
0: so, Zack Snyder wrote the movie. Fuck Zack Snyder. And then, yeah, that's how I feel. And then it's, they had two cheesy. people come in and then basically rewrite the film because it was like. Too dark.
1: Uh, it was directed by a woman. I think. Co-written by yeah. a woman. Patty, Patty Jenkins. Jenkins. Yeah.
0: Um, so uh, she was badass, though. I mean, like Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. Like she kicked the ass. The action scenes were really good. Like she, I, you know, the first time I saw her was in the Fast and the Furious movies, and I love those movies. But no oh, one's yeah. a good actor in yeah, those she's movies. Cool. And she's actually becoming a better actress in every film you see her in. And She's
2: pretty badass. She I mean, was the only good part of Batman versus Superman. Exactly, right? she was the only good part. Yeah, You're totally she right. She played Wonder, Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. Oh. Like her, like her, <laughs> appearance, her appearance was the only good part of that entire fucking movie. It was like three hours, like yeah. She was the most interesting, powerful character among the dumb, like, Batman and Superman characters. I, w- I will
0: amazing. say this though, like, I, I went and saw Wonder Woman in a theater that was like half kids. And of those kids, <laughs> it was mostly little girls. And to be able to like see a DC movie that's really for kids. I mean, like you could take your kids to go see Man of Steel, and I really liked Man of Steel, but that I mean at the end, Superman like breaks a dude's neck. Like it's not. It's <laughs> yeah. it's kind of a dark film. And then you know, <laughs> Batman vs Superman is not at all built for kids. Right. Wonder Woman was just as much for kids as adults. Now it's not as good as like any of the Marvel movies, mm. but there were a bunch of sex jokes in that. There were Wonder Woman. But I, I don't think I think they're kind of light enough that kids won't necessarily get them for the most part. But I, this, was be- this was the best this is the best DC uh, superhero movie you know since the Christopher Nolan trilogy, which really still wasn't. Oh for really? Kids. Well, I, I gotta yeah. watch it then. And, you?
2: Sorry, keep going.
0: Well, I was just saying it's like you know like the Justice League that was the Super Friends that was a Saturday morning cartoon. Like these stories, as much as we love them as adults. There are four kids, and I was really glad that this was a movie that is okay to take kids to while not boring adults. And to hear like little girls behind me be like, wow, she's so strong, or like, <laughs> yeah, you know, just like lot cheering of, like, her, her right, on. Yeah, yeah, they're, you know, the theater I was in broke out into applause like multiple times throughout the film. And like, you know, I, I love the Marvel movies, but they've yet to make a movie with a female lead. They've yet to make a Black Widow film. They've yet to do any of that kind of thing. And so um, I'm glad that Wonder Woman just exists as a film and and that it was actually really good. So, you know, go see it. Go support it. We need more of this kind of thing. And hopefully it telegraphs a less dark and depressing uh, future for the DC movies. And, you know, hopefully like a little bit more fun. All right. Let's see how long before Brian buzzes us on this. (laughs) But the NBA finals are upon us. Uh, the the Cavaliers lost to the Warriors in Game One, best of seven series. Uh, so you know if if you're a sports fan or not, you know basically Kevin Durant uh, was one of the best players in the NBA. He left the Oklahoma City Thunder to go team up with the Golden State Warriors, already the best team in basketball. And now like the best player who's a free agent goes to the best team. And I think there's kind of this expectation that the Warriors will win, and I think that if Kevin Durant and the Warriors win. I think a lot of people are gonna kind of hate Kevin Durant to a certain extent. Kind of be like, well, of course you guys won. You just made the best team better.
1: Did uh, but did, I have a theory. Did LeBron? Did everyone hate LeBron? Everybody after he hated. Went to the heat?
0: Everybody hated LeBron after he went to the Heat, but they loved him once he went back to his hometown, Cleveland Cavaliers, and then won a championship in Cleveland for his hood, for his hometown. Now you got KD. I think if this is my theory if if Kevin Durant and the Warriors lose this year to, to LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers and this is the third year in a row that the Warriors and the Cavs are meeting up in the finals and then if next year KD wins I think people will be happy like hey he went there he struggled a little bit he lost it but now he did it but I think if he wins it this year it'll kind of almost like tarnish, his, uh, tarnish it for him like of course he won. You went with the best team, so
1: I think his biggest mistake was not holding an hour-long special on ESPN called "The Decision," where he decides what team he wants to go to. If, I was, if,
0: if only he would have done that. If only. If only he would have done that. I, I'm also just like a huge LeBron James fan. I love I love Kevin Durant, and but I kind of feel like Cleveland needs this win more than really, you know. Neither of these the this area.
1: They, like, the Cavs won last season. I'm sick of... Well, the like, Cavs
0: won last season, the Warriors won the season before that. So, yeah, I mean, really, you're right. Like, do we need to see these teams here again?
1: I'm sick of these two teams. I'm sick of the Patriots. I'm sick of, like, these leagues dominated by one or two just teams that are perpetually good every and, season.
0: And yet you're a Barcelona fan and you follow Spanish yeah, soccer. Yeah, that's like, different. You know, that's it's <laughs> always been that way in, in Europe.
1: European sports works that way. American sports weren't like that. I mean, we had... Oh, no, no. Boom, chocolate. All right. All right,
0: that was Brian hitting that buzzer in case you wanted to know. All right, we're going to, I guess, end things off here um, with one last thing I want to give a shout-out to. Um, last night, I went to the opening of a new exhibit at Accion Latina, which is an art gallery in the Mission. They also publish um, uh, El Tecolote, which is California's oldest bilingual newspaper Uh, but uh, at this gallery uh, there was an exhibit by Samuel Rodriguez who's an artist from San Jose it's called typefaces caras de la Misión, and basically this artist from San Jose hung out in the mission spent a lot of time there spoke with a lot of different people bus driver an educator a homeless guy and then he did these beautiful paintings um, of their faces with typefaces from the Bay Area from the mission uh, worked into the art and uh, it's like a gorgeous kind of marriage of, you know, like a oil st- style realism, but also um, like, you know, typography and kind of pop art feeling and a little bit of graffiti style. And uh, it's a gorgeous exhibit. Uh, it's going through July 28th. So if you're in the Bay area, I think you should get down to Accion Latina and go check it out. Um, but you should look them up. Uh, Samuel Rodriguez, really great stuff.
2: Hey, did you say it's in San Jose?
0: No, so he's an artist from San Jose. Oh, from San Jose. This is in the Mission. Axion Latinos on like 24th and Harrison
2: okay.
0: uh, in the Mission. But you know, one of the things I think is really interesting is this was a San Jose artist coming up into San Francisco and painting people in the Mission, kind of a tribute to this iconic neighborhood. Um, but last night at the opening, one of the things a lot of people were talking about, including the artists um, and uh, uh, and the folks at the gallery, were this idea of preserving kind of. You know, the stories and the people who are in, in these neighborhoods that are changing quite quickly. A lot of issues of gentrification and being people be, being pushed out um, and displaced. Um, but it was just kind of like a really beautiful way to, to capture these stories. Um,
1: you have to put an example on the cover artwork of this episode so yeah. people know what you're talking about. I'll do
0: that. Yeah, <laughs> check out on SoundCloud. Um, we'll have the, the cover art up there or on our Instagram feeds or anything like that. The hashtag will be BuzzKillPodcast.
1: Oh, wrong one! Boom! There
0: we go. All right, <laughs> we we still have some work to do on, on our on our buzzers, but um, I guess that wraps up this episode. Um, always always more to talk about, but we'll be back next week, uh, and we'll probably be back in Brian's apartment, I guess. Yeah, sure. Um, on, or, pizza time. Yeah, pizza time. So what that is a nod to, we get food every time we uh, do one of these Shows and we often order pizza, usually from Arnell's in the mission, which is awesome. But this time we got sandwiches from (laughs) By (laughs) alright All right. um, All right. We'll catch you next time.